Welcome to the Show Me Institute podcast. I'm Zach Lawhorn from Show Me Opportunity, and today I'm joined by Elias Chappellis, Susan Pennegrass, and David Stokes from the Show Me Institute. Susan, earlier this week, we launched an addition to mostschoolrankings.org. It's a portal that uh, you launched a couple of years ago now. It had performance data, but now you've added uh, finance data. So people can go and they can see spending and revenue for every district in Missouri. My first question is, why did you decide that that was a worthwhile project? Well, I, I've always thought, obviously, that the spending component is almost equally important to the performance component because what you hear since the beginning of time is that the reason our test scores aren't going up is because we don't have enough money. And that's always an open question. And uh, also I've been, you know, I've thought for a long time, if you, if you're spending 20,000 per student, let's just be nice about it. Let's say we're spending 10,000 per student and there's 30 kids in a classroom, that's $300,000. And it's really hard to understand how that's possible with the teachers getting paid, say, 60, even with their benefits, that's 90. Where's the rest of the money going? And I know it's a big operation. So I was um, I was uh, poking around the corners of the DESI website a year or so ago, and I stumbled on these annual secretary to the board reports that every district in the state submits to the state by August 1st of every year. And it basically is a very detailed look at all the revenue that came into the district and all of the expenses of the district by line item. And um, while I was looking at them, I started da- I downloaded one and was looking at it in detail. And I thought maybe other people would like to look at these and they're hard to find. You have to download each of them individually. They're very, very long. So what we did is we downloaded all of them. And I say we, um, I mean, interns helped me substantially downloaded all of them, combined them all into a single database, and then we uh, worked with the web developer to create a portal so that people could easily go in, look at a map or a list, find their district, look at the detail on where their money came from, their revenue, look at the detail on how they spent that money, and then make decisions or ask questions of their school board, their superintendent, whomever. And, uh, all we did was pull it off one website, combine it, and put it back up on another website. We didn't do anything with the numbers except for the fact that um, the expenditures all total to one number, and that number is called total expenditures. Yes? Question? No. I was So there are two things that I really want to emphasize here. The first, okay. where did the numbers come from? Who did you get the data from? Desi. So the the numbers the are from Department of Elementary Secondary Education, the State Department of Education houses annual secretary to the board reports that every district submits, and that these documents are. And you were in the middle of explaining this, but I just want to stop yeah. and make sure everyone hears this. Crystal. That what's included in the number, the final number, the total expenditure, capital outlays, debt server it's all in there it includes these numbers include everything sure so the annual secretary to the board report has expenditures and at the bottom there's a total and that's called total expenditures and i'm just saying this in really ridiculously simplified terms because this seems to be a sticking point for folks that's the total amount of money that a given district spent in the year I took that total amount of money spent and I did divide it by the number of students. That is the only computation the Show Me Institute did. And that number is up there. And that number is total expenditures 
per student, which means every expenditure is in there. So what's in there? Diesel fuel for the buses, land if they bought it, interest on debt, principal on debt, advertising, school board fees. Um, I'm just trying to think of like there's 400 lines. What else is in there? Uh, curriculum materials, paper, all kinds of supplies, um, benefits, Medicare, Social Security for the teachers. Uh, everything is in there. So when we get questioned like, but what about building expenses? Are those in there? Yes, they are. Land? Yes, they are. The answer to all of those questions is yes, because it's the total. And the reason that this has come up, well, a couple of reasons. The numbers are high, and that surprises people. Typically, when people are surveyed about how much we spend per student, the answer is around $5,000. Well, for some time now, it's been north of $10,000. It's generally, this year, will be about $14,000 on average across the state. So the numbers are just initially a shock because they're much higher than what people think we spend on public education. Secondly, when I'm not really impugning lives here, but when you when when you hear from like Desi or your school district on the amount spent per student, there's a way to to kind of uh, craft that number. So sometimes it'll be current expenditures, just the amount spent in a year, or sometimes it'll be instruction expenditures, just the amount spent in the classroom. And maybe that is an important number, and that number is on our website. But what we decided to do was total. And that is every dollar that's spent by the district that year. And that's a dollar. Those are dollars that weren't spent somewhere else. And that was what we thought was the relevant number. At one point, I was going to go through and pick out what I thought were the most important categories. And I just decided that that wasn't my job. I should just put them all up there and let the users decide. Question about the total expenditure, Susan. What, yeah. When schoolyard bullies steal lunch money from dweebs, is the cost of the theft included in total expenditures? Yeah, I just had a question about whether sunshine fees are included. So any dollar that comes in. So there are some things in there that I thought was interesting. And I feel like you and I had an offline conversation about this, David, but um, uh, admissions uh, fees. So revenue from admissions to student activities like football games, like plays, you know, some districts. I was looking at Columbia uh, Public School District number, number 93 yesterday. They took in one hundred and seventy five thousand dollars in at the at the ticket office. That's fine. I don't know. Like, I don't really have an opinion. I just think it's a little bit interesting. Uh, bookstore sales, food sales to parents or food sales to non-students. Uh, those kind of things are interesting. And what I also think is interesting is um, in the data from 2021, the, that's the last year available, parents in Missouri spent over $1.6 million in tuition to public school districts to send their children outside their district. So parents pay tuition. There's also a lot of money that goes between districts. Um, so, uh, you know, there's property taxes, delinquent property taxes, everything. I don't think that they're uh, siphoning off part of the bullying money, but any I think any dollar that came into the district is accounted for. And charter schools are included, right? Charter schools are included. And one uh, line item is... Um, like donations, basically fundraising, and charter schools do more of that than traditional public school districts do. But people do donate to public school districts, so philanthropy that that is in there as well. So if you're curious to know how much charter school is taking in uh, in donations from the public, you can find that as well. And so if someone wanted to go to the website and download the data, which you've made available for download, and go through the Desi Accounting Manual and build a rival website that excludes, I don't know, gasoline costs, costs for library, 100%. but they can do that. We we welcome a, a rival web portal. 
or they can take a different number and divide it by the number of students. They can put anything they want to in that number. Um, but again, you know, districts that are spending on land and buildings, you know, some of our growing districts are. Uh, that's a whole nother issue. We did uh, districts across the state bought $42 million worth of buses last year. We can talk about that later when we talk about the state of the state. But uh, there are there is money being spent in ways that pro- probably could be spent better. Now, I've spent a lot of time putting the data together and building, getting the website built. So I am now kind of moving on to I'm going to dig in and look at it and see what's going on in there and compare like, What you can do on the website now is you can look at the spending per district and then you can flip over and look at the school report card and the letter grades and the and the test scores. You can look at the test scores. You can look at the spending. I will be looking at sort of the intersection of those two, like how much you're getting, how much value you're getting, because that's a very important question. And there's also some context, like the percentage of kids who are low income, the percentage of kids with disabilities. And, you know, we're we're trying to all we did. We're just kind of the messenger on these data. But. We want people to have a full picture so that we're not punishing a school district uh, that serves challenging students or some of our small districts, very small districts of fewer than 50 kids. Their spending per student is really, really high because there's probably some baseline that you need to run a school, like you need one bus. So um, I haven't had a chance to look into those numbers, but I'm sure if folks could to could if they wanted to. And like you said, you can download the whole data set. Yeah. And finally, before we move on, I think something that's important that uh, you've said a few times is that if you go to mostschoolrankings.org and you find the spending or the performance data on your school, your district, um, and you have questions, you can ask us. That's fine. We uh, sure. we entertain questions. But I think there are other people that you should be asking those questions to. Desi, your school board, maybe a representative. Um, those are the people. Yeah, superintendent. <clears throat> there are other people in this that need to be brought into this conversation. Yeah, I, I've told this story before, but when my kids were in public schools when they were younger, I asked once if I could see the district budget, and I was told no. And um, I, I also was told that it was too big and too complicated for me to look at, which, uh, you know, I didn't really appreciate at the time. You know, I have an MBA in finance. I actually wanted to look at the numbers, and maybe not everybody does, but I love looking at detailed numbers like this. So I can get lost in these numbers. I think it's really, really interesting. And I do believe that there are people who will feel the same and who, uh, you know, essentially we open the checkbook of the district so that you can look through it and make what you will of it. But some people may want to look at all the data together and and look at these things as well. But yes, the questions are really for the people in charge of spending the money. And uh, another thing that I just want to mention quickly, I know we're going to go move on to what the uh, state budget for education might look like in the next year. But one of the things that's talked about a lot is this foundation formula per student or this foundation formula in general, which is the money that the state puts towards each child's education It's around $6,400 if it's full funded. But when you look at a given district and you look at their total foundation formula money divided by the number of students, some districts get a lot less than that, a few hundred dollars, and some districts get more than that. So when you hear, you know, fully funding the formula, just know that some districts, that's not a big line item. Their biggest line item, let's say, Ladue is local property taxes. And other districts, state foundation formula money might be a huge line item and very important to them. But districts all get money coming in from different directions and going out in different directions, depending on their context and depending on the needs of their students. So this like just spend more money 
is a completely inappropriate way to approach it. It depends on how it's being spent, how it's coming in, how it's being spent. So now you can look at that information and draw your own conclusions. And the website, again, is moschoolrankings.org. You can find it on showmeinstitute.org. We link to it on our Twitter page, at showme, Facebook. You, it's easier to find. You can go out and find it, find your district, find your performance data for your school. Elias, uh, Governor Parson delivered the State of the State earlier this week. Instead of me going through and uh, asking specific questions about what he mentioned, I think a good place to start is just what jumped out to you. What was your takeaway? Uh, I mean, the first thing is just the headline number. We're, we're looking at a almost $51 billion budget, which is uh, pretty eye-opening to me. I, I know a lot of people may not you know, keep up with the, di- the yearly state uh, spending numbers, but just two years ago, the state budget was $35 billion. So going up to 50 in two years, pretty significant increase. Now, a lot of that is still federal money from you know, the various uh, COVID relief bills and stuff like that. But you're still looking at just incredible, incredible spending. And, um, you know, you see a lot in the news these days, the state has a a surplus of general revenue. So our state, you know, income and sales taxes, and the governor is spending a lot of that as well. And with the um, uncertain economic horizon we're looking at right now, um, I, you know, I get a little bit nervous when I see when I see so much spending. Um, But then going into kind of the like priorities that the governor is laying out or, you know, where the big ticket items are. Um, the governor seems to be putting a big uh, priority into infrastructure. And so there's a lot of money towards um, expanding Interstate 70 uh, to three lanes each way. Um, my understanding is that the, there's a, you know, hundreds of millions of dollars the governor is going to devote to that. Some of that's dependent on additional federal money. And, you know, it's a multi-year effort. So it's kind of up in the air exactly, um, you know, how realistic that is in terms of being spent soon and how much the total project's going to cost. But then the, you know, I would say just the general theme from the governor's budget discussion is just more spending on basically everything. So education, tons of money being spent. The, um, you know, when revenues are, when revenues are high, um, I think it's sort of expected that the governor is going to be fully funding the um, foundation formula for education, like Susan just mentioned. And uh, as as I think has been mentioned on this podcast before, every time the formula is fully funded, that means the next year it costs more. And so this year, um, well, the so the current fiscal year, the formula was fully funded. So next year, if they want to fully fund it, it's going to cost about one hundred and twenty million dollars extra. Um, and then on top of that, there's the proposal to fully fund um, transportation. And then the governor wants a rainy day fund for education, two hundred and fifty million dollars. Not exactly sure what the point of that is going to be. He hasn't really um, laid out exactly what all the details on that are. So right now, I would say color me skeptical on that idea. But, um, you know, on top of that, a lot of money for uh, child care. And then in terms of the state workforce, the governor says 8.7 percent pay raise across the board for every um, state employee. That is something that um, I plan to be diving into more in the next couple of weeks. But just first first look, I'm very worried about. I think that, um, you know, one of the things to show me is, is all of us here have said multiple times throughout all the COVID um, spending is that the state really needs to be worried about um, creating long-term spending obligations. And last year, there was uh, significant pay raises. And I know, I know, I mean, I used to work for the state. I know that people say the state 
employees do not get paid enough. They, they've done surveys, very low paid. 100% understand the, um, you know, what's going on there. But after very significant raises, saying 8.7% across the board, um, I still don't think is the best approach. Targeting this money to positions that need to be filled, that the state's having a hard time filling, you know, um, that have comparatively low pay. Just looking at those things as opposed to going across the board, I think would be a much better approach and I think could save a lot of money. And when you're talking about, um, you know, the uncertain economic horizon, you know, there's a lot of talk of potential recession, whatnot. Raising salaries over 15 percent or around 15 percent in a two year period when revenues could be dropping very soon. You know, it's very it's very hard to go tell state employees, you know, that we can't afford those raises anymore. And so there's a lot to look at. I think the legislature just, you know, uh, I think David will discuss a little bit with me as well. We were just in Jefferson City yesterday and the legislature was kind of taken aback by this, you know, free free spending approach that the governor uh, laid out here because there's a lot of concerns, inflation, uh, the ec the economy, just really, you know, a lot of people prioritize, you know, smaller government and everything the governor was laying out was more spending. And so I think I think there's a lot of concern, but hopefully, hopefully the uh, House and the Senate have a different approach to what the governor is looking at. Well, and I do want to hear from David here in a second, but I think you use an important word, Elias, and that's priorities. And it's important to understand that this wasn't the governor unveiling the budget for the year, right? This is just him expressing what he thinks his priorities, what what his priorities are, request it. This wasn't final, all done. There's a lot of work to do. The legislature has a huge role to play in the budget process. And so when you say you and David were in Jefferson City and you were kind of feeling the temperature of the cat, that is heavily going to impact what the final budget and what the final appropriations look like, right? Yeah. The um, So what the governor's uh, budget, they called the recommendations. So, you know, it's not even really a, it's, you know, it's not even really a request. It's sort of the first step of the yearly uh, process. And so the governor get, sits at a table with, you know, uh, members of the House, Senate, economists, whatnot, and try to figure out how much money the state's going to have in the coming year. You know, look at the balance sheets right now. And then taking all of that, he kind of lays out, you know, how he would spend uh, this money and gives it to the legislature to then, you know, appropriate these funds. And the um you know the governor's approach there there is a lot of covid spending uh that you know covid uh funding bill spending that could still be going out and so there's a lot of money to be decided and the governor laid out how he wants to do it but the legislature is under no obligation to listen to any of these and um i'm not i'm not really sure if they will but at the very least we know what the governor's priorities are and it's definitely more spending well isn't he out though a lame duck yeah, yeah, I guess uh, in that way he is. Um, you know, the motto of the state of the state speech was not done yet. So we'll uh, well, we'll see. But he's not running for re-election, so he's not going to be held accountable for whether any of these dollars get spent the way he said he wants them to be spent, right? Yeah, but you would you would think that you know not being not done yet would mean he's trying to accomplish a few things uh, that he wants in the rest of the rest of his uh, time in office. And I think, um, you know, there's probably a lot of discussions that still need to happen between the House and the Senate and the governor. If he wants those things to happen, because um, very few of the priorities that I see uh, listed there have much in common with what I would say the majority of the House and Senate <laughs> list as their priorities. David, hmm. what were your takeaways? Well, whatever you call the, the budget proposal, I 
fiscal conservative is not fiscally conservative is not the term you would use to to describe it. And as Elias said, the reaction from the legislators we spoke with was a uh, was not was perplexed is the perplexed surprised and and uh, with with a lot of disagreement with would be the terms I w- I would use. Uh, you know, this is Elias's area of expertise primarily. But one thing that the governor mentioned was the continued expansion of, of broadband and to improve internet service throughout the state of Missouri. So the one, and that there's there's purposes for that. There's a ton of federal money for it. There is a need for it in some instances. The key thing there, and what the Show Me Institute will be working on, is to use that money to either help infrastructure that. A variety can help build out the infrastructure that a variety of private companies can then can then use, or to to help in truly rural areas that really have no private, no legitimate, no no significant private provision of, of broadband or other internet services. If you want to use government-owned services there, that's one thing. But you really have to avoid taking this money and allowing cities or counties to create their own municipally owned broadband companies to then compete using tax money, competing with the private sector already serving those cities, as has happened in Marshall, Missouri, just to give one local example. Uh, The state of Kentucky did this statewide. It's been a total failure in Kentucky. Uh, Other cities in Missouri have done it as well. Thankfully, Columbia last year thought about doing that, creating a Columbia municipal internet company. It did not go forward with it. Good choice by Columbia. Springfield actually has something as part of city utilities, but the best you can say about it is that they have kept it very small and haven't actually tried to sell it citywide. Hopefully they won't do that. So the broadband money, key takeaway, don't use it to help fund local government to create their own government-owned systems, except perhaps in very, very rural areas where there truly is no to extremely limited private services. All right. Um, One thing, just real quick before we, before we move on, I want to be clear. I, I'm not saying that the people I spoke to in the legislature are, you know, opposed to the ideas of the government or the governor's um, priorities, you know, infrastructure, funding, education, childcare, stuff like that. They're, those are areas that I think there is a lot of agreement of those being, you know, funding priorities. But the way you fund those things, there's a lot of disagreement, and those details are very important. And I think we're going to learn a lot about those in the coming months. All right. Well, there's a lot left happening in this process, so Elias will keep us updated. David, the city of St. Louis has a one percent earnings tax. You work in the city, you pay this earnings tax. During the pandemic, a lot of people in St. Charles County, Franklin County, St. Louis County, they worked remotely. So you would think, well, I'm not working within the city, shouldn't have to pay that earnings tax. But that's not how the city wanted it to go, right? That's right. The, the city decided to say, well, let's let's ignore what the law says and we'll do what we want. And they insisted on collecting that earnings tax from people working remotely. Kansas City, it is key to keep reminding people, read the law correctly and did not do this. Uh, St. Louis did, uh, the collector of revenue, Gregory Daly. He changed the rules. He changed the form uh, that went along with it to demand that, that this tax be collected. And wonderfully, uh, six, six people who had worked remotely and paid the earnings tax sued, and a judge in St. Louis City Court found in their favor yesterday. 
and ruled that the language on the earnings tax, if I can quote from the Post-Dispatch story on it, was clear and unambiguous, to, to repeat that again, clear and unambiguous that the city cannot collect the earnings tax for people working remotely. It's really, it's really awful what the city did here, because as I said in an op-ed that talked about this example and others in the business, St. Louis Business Journal last year, you know, there's nothing more frustrating than elected officials just blatantly ignoring the law. Like the law says one thing and they do the other and say, well, I'm going to do it till you sue me. You know, it's, it's, it's infuriating actually. So great to see this city, the city judge uh, rule this post an article in the post dispatch on it right now, rule in favor of these six plaintiffs. It will be very interesting to see with this ruling. If the, if the lawyer involved, whose name is Mark Milton, who, uh, in all, in all honesty, is a uh, Mark's a friend of mine. If if he then is able to get a class action going to include a lot more people, that attempt to do as a class action was rejected by a different judge last year. That that judge didn't say there's no validity to the case. He just said it wasn't a proper case for a class action. So that's what a, another judge had rejected. So I understand, according to the article, that they're going to try again. I hope that succeeds. And then, of course. If this is the if the if this judge's decision holds, that bodes very well for for AT and T's much large much larger larger in the in the case for much more money for one particular plaintiff, their case against the city for the payroll tax, which St. Louis, which AT and T and other businesses were was required to pay on their their workers working remotely. So great ruling by by the judge. Certainly, I would be stunned if the city didn't didn't appeal, even though, again, the judge says the language is clear and unambiguous. And any person who can read can go read the statute and see that the language is indeed clear and unambiguous, that you have to be working in the city, as I do every every day. I don't like paying the earnings tax, but I don't dispute the legality of it when I'm here in our Central West End offices working. To collect it from people working remotely is is absurd and wrong and I hope hope this decision I hope this decision causes most of all the city to stop doing it. And one thing when people hear it's a 1% tax, maybe they well, you know, I'm that rather not have it but it's 1%. This is really high stakes for the city from the post dispatch article, more than one third of the city's budget comes from the earnings tax from residents and non-residents. So this is not just some, you know, on the periphery, this is pretty high stakes for for the budget of the city. Well, that's why it's it's a, such so perfect for a class action because for any one individual, you know, say you're making eight eighty thousand dollars a year, if you work remotely the entire time, you know that's eight hundred dollars. So a lot of people aren't going to file a lawsuit over eight hundred dollars. So that's why it's a really good class action case, and I hope that the class action is authorized. The payroll tax aspect is totally different. Because AT&T is talking a six-figure sum on what they were paying on the payroll tax each year for people working remotely. So that's why they've, they've, they don't need a class action on, on that one. So, it's, yeah, it's a lot of money for the city. It's, a, it's over a third of the general fund, not a third of the city's total, total budget. Sometimes they say total budget to make it sound even larger than it is. But it's a third of the general fund. And that's right. It's a well over $100 million a year in city funds that they use to pay for admittedly important services. But the earnings tax, there's 
Professor Howard Wall, Professor Joe Haslig from the Show Me Institute, other professors, other economists who study the earnings tax in other cities, it talk talk about Triumph of the City, a great book about urban about cities and the benefits of cities. Talks about the harms of earnings taxes around the country. You know, they drive people out, they drive businesses out, they make it less likely that a business or a person will move in in the first place. Nobody has ever said it's the only factor. Nobody's ever said that the earnings tax is the only reason a business leaves or a, an individual moves out. But when you combine it, when you take it on the margins and combine it with the city's other, other issues, it's just one more factor that absolutely drives people and businesses, that reduces population and employment and economic activity in the city of St. Louis. Kansas City and St. Louis would both be better off without it. And in particular, St. Louis is doing the wrong thing by saying it's being forced to be collected on remote workers. And you're right. Thank you for making that distinction. General purpose money, not total budget. Well, a lot of people do that. Not, not you per se, but people do that to make it sound like it's, it's, more, than, it's more than it is. It's still a lot of money. All right. Wrapping up. Susan, over the next week, what's something that uh, you're going to be keeping track of? So a couple of hearings next week on uh, school choice bills, one uh, in the Senate on a bill that would allow parents to choose a school in another district, an open enrollment bill, basically, and one on just a universal school choice bill. So I know the legislature has got school choice on their mind, and we're beginning to see some hearings, and we'll see how those votes go. Elias? And similar to Susan, you know, now that the governor has put out his budget proposal, the House and the Senate will be starting their hearings where they look at you know, each state executive department, you know, trying to put together their their priorities. And so monitoring the hearings, um, not just budget related that, you know, could have budget impacts and kind of seeing where the legislature is looking, because we we now know what the governor's priorities are that, um, in the next uh, few weeks. We're going to see what the legislatures are, and that could have you know some pretty big impacts for the um, the remaining four months of the session. And David, uh, two things. Uh- City of Manchester is trying to annex uh, rather about a community of about 6,500 people near Queenie Park. St. Louis County is now opposing that annexation and some high stakes politicking is going on with County Executive Page trying to change some appointments to the Boundary Commission. The County Council not approving them uh, as the county tries to block this annexation. It's very interesting. I'm not somebody who who thinks that you know, in St. Louis County, we have different rules for annexations than other places. So I don't think the county executive is doing anything wrong here. And I don't think Manchester should just be able to go ahead and do this just because it wants it wants to. It's a it's a complex issue. Very interesting to me. Uh, and then the other thing, of course, is is Terum Ripum Vinci. Land banks must be defeated. Uh, there's still still the bill before the state house to expand land banks to the throughout Missouri. It's a terrible, terrible idea. All right. Susan, David, Elias, thank you very much. Thank you for listening. Plenty more at showmeinstitute.org as always. And go to mostschoolrankings.org and see how much your district is spending. Thanks, and we'll talk to you next week.